another episode of Spotlight on Natural Resources, where we shine some light on what's going on in your environment. I'm your host, Erin Garrett. And I'm your co-host, Abigail Garfalo. And today we are here with Eliana Brown, who is a water quality and stormwater specialist. And we're going to be chatting all about drought today. So welcome, everyone. Welcome, Eliana. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. We are talking all about drought today. So um, why did you choose this topic, Eliana? Like you said, I'm a water quality and stormwater specialist. So stormwater is rainwater and snowmelt. So usually I'm not talking about the opposite thing of drought. However, it is the other side of the coin. And according to our state climatologist, Trent Ford, we, Illinois is in a drought. And um, although we have had some... Uh, Autumn rainstorms in July, we are still in a drought. So I wanted to come to talk about some of the implications of drought and rain with our landscapes. Yeah, that's really because a lot of people think, oh, I got some rain. The drought is over, right? Like it's it's all gone. It's all done. We're great. Um, but really, that's not always what is defining the end of a drought or what, what exactly it is. So According to the U.S. Drought Monitor, they are looking at whether uh, they, of these these intensities of drought, whether we're just um, abnormally dry all the way up to a moderate, severe, extreme, and exceptional droughts. Uh, so what Trent has said is that um, that with, in his blog, he said that We've got some rain in, in July, but still more than two-thirds of the state of Illinois remains in at least a moderate drought, with 13% of Illinois in a in severe drought. So there are these different levels of drought. Is that, you know, what, like D2, D3 is? Is that what we're talking about when it comes to those things? That's exactly what we're talking about, that. And if somebody wants to see what level that they are at... The website is droughtmonitor.unl.edu, which is a website that we, I'm sure we can put in some show notes, but that will let a person know whether, where we're at. Um, some municipalities will take those levels to make decisions as to whether they need to impose water restrictions and other kinds of restrictions for a municipality or for an area. Yeah, that's at my area. Definitely, we do like if you're in an odd numbered house, you water on these days, even numbers these days. And then at any time, no matter what day it is for you, you can't water after like, I think it's like 8 a.m. And then you have to water after at least 6 or 7 p.m. in my my community. So that's how it was for me growing up. We'd always gauge how bad the drought was by what color the watering sign was and if we could actually do any outdoor watering. So we don't have restrictions like that in Southern Illinois, but I'm familiar with, with that, definitely. So how do we, I know, just re- speaking from my personal experience in Southern Illinois, we've had some crazy rainfalls and the storms that have just happened. And, you know, we're talking about drought conditions, how we really need the rain. But, like, how useful is that really, like, a lot of rain all at once? Like, how much of that really infiltrates the ground? Or is it just all running off into the into the storm sewers? Like, what is, is there, like, an ideal um, amount of rain that we want to help get us out of drought conditions? Or, or how, how are we doing with these storms that are coming through? Yeah, that's a great question. 
gentler storms are are going to be going to be better. And what what really concerns me with a drought is one of the other things that Trent has put in his blog, which is that um, as of June 28th, the eight-inch soil moisture at the Illinois Climate Network station in Champaign was at its driest point on record, and that record goes back to 2004. So what we are what we're we're we can glean from that is that um, with the soil being so dry, it's not going to be able to soak up that water very well. So that when we get that big hit of a storm, it's going to run off, not be able to soak in, run off. It can um, impact our ability to for our homes that we may be taking on flooding. Um, there's downstream water quality implications of that sharp kind of runoff with those big, quick storms that happen um, with that kind of intensity. So that's why it's the two sides of the coin, that when we have those drought conditions, our soil is impacted in a way that makes it less helpful for us for the times when we have the big storms. Mm-hmm. It makes me think of like when I water my plants and I like dump too much water on it at once and all the water, it doesn't get time to actually infiltrate it. It's most of it's just going to run off right away. Yeah. So, and we have some really, we have some great resources from extension as you well, I'm sure know about how to deep water. That's the kind of watering that we want to do when we are say watering our, um, our, our food gardens. We want to do that deep watering so that the plant can uptake the water better and that the the water is going to be, um, it's going to be a a better kind of watering. Yeah, because the roots will go essentially where the plant, or excuse me, the roots will go where the water is. And so if you're only watering a little bit, essentially, is what you're saying, the roots are going to stay nice and shallow versus if you water them nice and deep, the roots are going to grow deep. And then they're even um, long term going to be more protected from those drought conditions because those roots are deeper down, more buried, less susceptible to those dry conditions that are happening. Exactly. And when we have those kind of deeper roots like that, just the, the exactly what you're saying, that's going to be better for the plant, but it's also much better for the soil. And what I want to get across today is what we're what we're trying to do is really build that soil so that it can be there for us when we have the rain so that we can have so we can act kind of like how um how a wetland does so we can act like a sponge and that's that's the condition that we want and we don't want a wetland in our our yards obviously uh we but we we want there to be that resilience and building our soil is one of the best ways to get there it's one of the reasons why it is recommended that with our turf grass lawns, we want to mow at the three inch level instead of much shorter because we want the the turf grass to have that ability for the roots to grow as long as they, as they can. Mm-hmm. Uh, turf grass, um, there's a limit to that. So that may be a segue into talking about other plants and grasses that have naturally have longer root systems. But even with our turf grasses, this is uh, this, these longer roots for better soil. This is something that we, we want to have in the forefront of our minds, e- even with that kind of plant. So how else can we build resiliency 
uh, for these droughts in our landscape. So we, we want to like mow at three inches. We want to water deeply when we do water. What are some other tips for us? Well, I am so glad that you asked that question because we do happen to have these. So, well, the answer to everything today is going to be native plants. But <laughs> so, um, and you're in the right podcast, Eliana. This is the crew for that. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. That's the um, that's the, that's a really that's a really amazing thing is that anymore with and, and i'm not talking about our plants that we're growing for food any of our any of our in our in our small gardens that we have we, watering would be needed for that what i'm really thinking about is with our ornamental plants that we have in our landscapes where we're at right now in facing a reality of, wow, we're in a drought. Wow, we do have these severe storms that are happening intermittently. So now is the time that we really want to be thinking about the the resiliency of our own properties. And if only there were plants, even some, some very beautiful plants that can withstand drought and even flood. And that is so many of our beautiful Illinois native plants. Now, not all native plants can do that as well as some of the other ones, but um, what we're learning at the Red Oak Green Garden is that, we're, well, we are, we're learning with that demonstration project that's on campus. We're noting which plants have done well this year and, and which ones haven't so that we can um, have a better idea of what kinds of native plants that we can support well at this garden, which may give us some indication for what people can do with their own homes. Definitely. I know in my gardens with my native plants, you know, as we were getting into June and the drought was, you know, really starting to ramp up, I wasn't doing any additional watering except for ones that I had in pots. Um, they do have some in pots and those you could tell they were stressed right but everything planted in the ground was doing fine didn't I didn't add any additional water um, and everything was great which is wonderful for me because I hate watery so I kind of really listen I get eaten by bugs the whole time and so if I can put plants in the ground you know obviously water them to get them established you know that first year maybe two years is really important but after that point, I'm finding at least the selections that I have in my yard have been doing really, really great. Um, and it's it's just nice because I get to enjoy them and don't have to do the work and don't have to worry about losing my favorite, you know, plant during this drought. Um, I don't know, Abigail, how's, how's your native plant garden been doing? It's been doing great. I mean, I, I think we've been getting a little more rain. Um, and like less of those drastic ones. We still get our, that... that um, We've gotten a few of those like big drastic storms, but it there hasn't been time much for them to dry out in between. But even during that really long drought, I was like, man, I just kind of like, yeah, I was annoyed because I planted like 30 plants this this spring and I'm never doing that again. But uh, <laughs> uh, I definitely like my established ones that are about three seasons old have I've been doing amazing. Um, and they've actually been protecting my yard from flooding um during those really big storm events so i used to have what i called uh the garfalo creek in the sidewalk in front of our house between the parkway and my yard and um this season even in these drastic storm events i haven't been getting that 
Um, and so I'm, maybe there's some other things going on, uh, but I'm, I'm attributing it to my pollinator garden in front of my house. And so, um, yeah. And honestly, too, I'm a lazy gardener. Erin um, talks about she hates watering. I personally am like, if I don't have to do it, I won't. And that's what I love about A, perennials. Um, it's going to come back every year, right? Um, and B, natives, because like they, they're meant to be there. Um, I'm like, oh, well, it's meant to look like just a little messy, you know, <laughs> that's, that's fine. Um, and all I have to do is kind of weed the things I don't want. And even then, you know, I'm like, well, you know, it's not really hurting anything by being there. And so I don't know, it, it helps with my wallet. It helps with my my time and all the things. And so, yeah, I'm a big native proponent. Well, and it can it can relieve us of some guilt. It, it used to be the goal was that we would try to have the most, um, I don't know, exotic plant because it was this beautiful ornamental. And then if we didn't have all of the time that would require to remembering to water it and remember to, to do all the things that you needed to do to baby that, then it would die or not do well. And well, I have none of that in my own house and garden. Like there's, there's, there's no time for that, Eliana. We have things to do. And I literally don't have time for that. But really, to for for me, it's really it's it's a big relief to have the goal be wow. We want to have a resilient, sustainable landscape that we can take care of that doesn't use so many resources. You know what? It, it can be as beautiful as uh, what some of the gardens of the past were. It's just it's a different kind of beauty, but no less important of or valid of beauty. Uh, and we need to re also remember that water is a resource, but our time is also a resource. So I, what I'm what I'm promising here is that we can have it all. We can have a beautiful garden. Eliana, don't tease me with a good time. Well, <laughs> no, we can have really beautiful gardens that build our soil, relieve ourselves of guilt, and um, and there and there are things that we, that are that I think are also. Can be very in line with our with our values so that our kids and grandkids can be proud of the kind of gardens that we are establishing now and summer right now is a good time to be thinking about what we might want to be doing with some of our fall plantings because right now it's way too hot to plant even those those uh the 30 plants that you put in or what the so you put in this I put them in in the spring. I just was annoyed that I had to water. And honestly, the ones in my shade garden, I didn't really water. I was like, they'll be fine. They're well. That, so this is the thing when you when you are establishing native plants, there is watering that you do have to do, and you may have to do it definitely the first year. Some even the second year, you have to watch to see how thing, how that is going with the red oak rain garden with this route that we had at the, at the end of june before we got rain things were changing very quickly and they, they we decided to do one watering uh so that we didn't have we didn't want to lose a number of plants but we noted which ones were um not doing as well which was gonna go into some thinking about what we might be doing differently or changing this fall so we did one watering but it's still a rel relatively young garden and so some of our shrubs in particular were the ones that uh, were showing some signs of drought that we needed to pay attention to, which is, you know, it's a, it's a much bigger plant, going to take a longer time to establish. Uh, but some of our, um, well, 
one of the other plants I think that surprised me a bit, and I had the same thing happen in my own garden, was wild ginger. So it went flat as a pancake uh, in June. It was it was not looking good at all, just down down to the ground, and that was happening in my own garden, except for. So there were some areas where it didn't ha didn't happen in my garden. Now at the red oak green garden, we have it around trees, and in my garden, it was happening around trees. Where it wasn't around trees, it was they were fine. So we're thinking that it might have something to do with the trees really needing that water. Always wild ginger, right? I was just gonna say that I was like, I wonder if those trees were just like really retaining. Um, interesting. Yeah. But but after it rained, they popped right back up. So they were they were resilient, and that to me, you know, keeps their place in the garden. That this is this is a plant that's still going to do well, and that's good. These are things we want to be thinking about. We want to know what's doing well, what's not doing well, so that we can make some make some decisions. Other plants that did really well uh, were uh, wild petunia. Wild petunia was growing out of ground that was cracked. Yes. That yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. I just dug up a bunch of plants in July because I moved and they hated me because it was 90 degrees. And the wild petunia is like, you took me out of the ground and put me in a pot. You can't even tell. It's amazing. Amazing. I can't believe it. And it just pops up little babies all over the place and makes a big clump. I love it. I love it. And it's so pretty. The flower is gorgeous. The color is this beautiful lavender. And it's just, it's it's such a wonderful plant. All right, so there's a glasses old also did really well. What I love that you're talking about too, Eliana, is like you approached um, the drought and like the way your the gardens were reacting from like a scientific perspective. Like I feel like people think science happens like in these labs and these, and like, it's like, no, we are all scientists. Like when we're in our garden being like, and like taking that quote naturalist perspective of okay there's a drought I want to know like I'm not just going to freely water everything I'm going to be like this plant's struggling this plant's doing well this one's struggling I'm going to remember that I'm going to note that or I'm even going to write it down in a journal or something and so um, I think that's really important when it comes to like gardening and um, even just preparing for drought or just being like building resilient landscapes is paying attention and noticing what's happening. And so I'm so glad to hear that, that that's happening and something really cool. I think that kind of makes you feel a little nerdy. Like, so. Oh, it's a lot nerdy. And, and uh, it, yeah, it's a lot nerdy over at the Randall Grand Garden. Yeah. In my house. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but even that being said, there are lots of other, you know, we're approaching this today from picking plants that withstand drought, right? That's a really great way that we can add it. But when I, we have this one difficult spot at my parents' house that my, they've never been able to grow anything. It's super dry, super hot and sunny. And I was like, we could put native plants there. And my parents were like, it's not going to work. Nothing ever grows there. And like, wait, I will show you. And my mom just texted me this morning, her brown eyed Susans that I gave her are starting to bloom and they're doing amazing. Swamp milkweed, even swamp milkweed. Yes. In that dry spot, prairie drop seed. Those grasses, some of those other like really um, resilient plants are doing amazing. And she wanted them because she saw them in my garden. She saw how beautiful they were and how well they were doing. And so she's getting the added benefit of they're actually growing in that one landscape that, that nothing grew for like 20 years. Like, You're like, look how green my thumb is, your mom says. She's like, wow, like it just, I just had to write, find the right plant. Like, 
you go back to right plant right place the the best sanko way of looking at things and it is so it's it it, it's just it it works And you do get to feel like a garden genius when you when you're like, wow, this thing it, it's it's beautiful, it's thriving. Oh, Erin, good job. Yeah, <laughs> beautiful things too, right? That don't need as much work. So you know, I encourage people to find a native plant, a place that's selling native plants. Look online, just explore, dream, get excited, find things that look beautiful. And then look at the what conditions they can withstand and test them out. Like we can, you can approach it that way too. Definitely, like more traditional gardening, right? I want to find the most beautiful plant that none of my neighbors have, right, Eliana? Except it's a native plant this time that we're going to add in, rather than the ornamental that we're going to bring over. And you're honestly less like more likely to have something unique if you do that, right? Like if you're trying to find. I get so many comments from my neighbors about my Illinois bundle flower in my front yard. Because it's like a little weird, um, but I, I've grown it with three together. So it's like, looks like a giant bush, but like it's like sense, it's sensitive plant essentially. And so it's like, um, and so I heard, oh my gosh, that's so cool. And I'm like, I have seedlings. Like I'm the star. <laughs> so at the Red Oak Brain Garden, that was purple poppy mellow. People would just be, just stop and say, what is because it's so gorgeous. It blooms for a super long time. It's a ground cover. It has multitude of uses and and it's just draw jaw droppingly beautiful. Yeah. So I you see you can have it all. Speaking to my dreams, Eliana. <laughs> no, and that's the that's I mean, it's the um that's I I guess I'm speaking to all the beautiful nerds out there, right? The people <laughs> that love that love beauty want to be successful, have that sense of accomplishment and be able, if they want, if you want to nerd out to the science of it, you can, you can nerd out to the beauty of it too. There are, are multitudes of ways to, to nerd out to all of this, but it kind of all comes down to that discovery of what is really meant to be here. Um, and, and there's, there's really nothing more satisfying, I think, than uh, having a a little piece of um, or the the Illinois prairie or the Illinois wetlands or whatever biome that your own landscape is going to support the best, and uh, and and bring that back to what we had in your own little patch of uh, of 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 lawn or, or the own little your own little patch of ground that you have. And also, too, I mean, all your neighbors have brown grass from the drought, and you're like, my thriving garden is looking great. So come on over to my house. Like, <laughs> that is true. That is true. It, the um, one, I think one of the things that surprised me the most uh, was uh, that did really well uh, were uh, was cardinal flower. And the sedges and grasses are in the basin of the red or green garden. Because one would have thought that some of those plants that w that can survive the deluge of big rains, and that's what you have at the bottom of those basins, one would have thought that wow, those probably wouldn't do as well in a drought, but but they are. And again, I think that does come back to the idea of of resiliency. And we know our turf grasses being. Um, 
just don't have that same resiliency that the native plants are going to have because they're not from they're not from here. They're not of here. They've been yeah. babied for so long. Well, <laughs> I mean, again, speaking as someone who just tried to dig some native plants, there are some that I could not get out of my garden because the roots were so deep. That bundle flower, don't ever plan on moving it because um, I tried one year and I got about 16 inches deep and then I broke the root off and then I did replant it and it's fine. It made it. But I knew I was, gonna, I was not going to try to move that one again. So um, just those crazy root systems that they're able to develop. That's why, right? They're doing so well in these in these drought conditions and um so word of caution make sure you like where you plant these native plants um but then they will be there right they will be there and they will do amazing over time um and and really be, be able to withstand all of these different conditions that our our climate is throwing at them that's a good point i was also going to add too is um you know we're speaking to the nerds but let's just take a minute to speak to the lazy people out there who just like want a nice garden and don't know how to do anything about it i know it's mutually exclusive yeah true um i am not a landscape designer or a landscape architect and i do not find joy in being like ooh, i'm gonna put these colors here and these like i that's not my vibe and so i used some really handy resources from the red oak rain garden and just took their designs um, that they give freely and they're totally, Eliana, I'm assuming you're totally cool with. Um, and that, that's what they're for. Uh, and so I'll let Eliana pitch those, but you know, those, those resources, I hand those out constantly in my work and people love them. And I'm like, you know what? You don't even have to come up with a design. Somebody made it for you and wants you to use it. So I'll let you talk about those a little bit. Oh, absolutely. Thanks so much for, thanks so much for mentioning it. Uh, so, um, so I am the director of the Red Oak Green Garden, and when we first started thinking about native plants and how to best encourage other people to use native plants and to establish rain gardens, we were, it kind of came from some experience that I had from coming to, going to a native plant sale. And my background is engineering. I'm, I am a master gardener, but I am not a landscape designer. So I would go to the native plant sale, and one of two things would happen. I would either come home with every plant that uh, the native plant nerds, the beautiful native plant nerds had talked me into because they're gorgeous and I just, you know, like I just bought them all. And then they sit in my driveway because they didn't know what to do with them. And, you know, this is a lot of, that was, and I'd feel shame and that was just not a good way of approaching it. Or I would go to the native plant sale and I would end up with nothing because I'd be super overwhelmed. And that's not good either because what we really need to do is we need to get we need to buy the native plants. We need to get them in the ground. That's like, right, that's the idea. And so the, the um, I, I thought, you know, if somebody would hand me just a, a plan or a kit, be like, this is what you need to do with this patch of ground. This, this, is, this is where you need to go. Um, so I, then I started hanging out with landscape architects. Um, I figure out how I can start working with them uh, to make this plan happen. And that's when I met Lane Kenopi, who was a student at the time. And I saw some of his work that he was doing as a student because he was studying landscape architecture and he is a native plant aficionado with a lot of things in common. Hired him and we created the first of the, those native plant brochures. He, of course, as you, as Aaron and Abigail, as you both know, he's been working with me uh, with that extension ever since then and has just expanded the number of these brochures 
so that um, so that it can work and represent the many different biomes that are in the Red Oak Green Garden and can work in different parts of people's people's yards, no matter what kind of conditions that they have. So you can find them at um, at the Red Oak Green Garden website, and you can download them for free. Uh, Abigail, thank you so much for um, giving them out to people. I know that they are available from a lot of the uh, the extension uh, counting units, and we we just really appreciate that they have worked so well for so many people. Get those plants in the ground so that we can be more resilient, so we can build that soil. Awesome. Thanks so much, Eliana, um, for chatting with us today all about native plants and how they can withstand drought. Uh, we got slightly off topic, but I love it. That's totally where we were going. Talking to the right crew, honestly. <laughs> native plants, tying in drought. We got it. Um, so now it's time for our special spotlight. This is the point of the show um, where we each shine a spotlight on something cool that we saw in nature this month. Um, so Abigail, do you want to go first? I will. I'm just racking my brain. I know I promised something earlier. <laughs> now I look at No, so uh, I am, my job is constantly having me ask, like see things in nature and go, oh, I could, I could use that for a class or that would be a really good item for my, my library of items. Uh, and so there's this silver maple in front of my neighbor's house and um, he was like cleaning it up and stuff and a branch had fallen like this, like I would say, I don't know how thick around, like a, like a six inches, something like that around, maybe even a foot. Um, and uh, it was just so cool because it had a bunch of woodpecker holes in it. And I just loved the idea of like being able to keep that because I do activities. I train the master naturalists in my county and I do an activity that I stole from our colleague Peggy Doty um, in which she gives everybody a, a random nature item and has them ask um, as many questions as they can about it, um, except for what is it? So they can ask, you know, where did it come from? Who eats it? You know, how how does it grow if it's a plant, whatever, but they can't ask what is it? Um, because essentially what our master naturalists are learning is that ends the conversation. Um, they learned it's an oak, but they don't know anything about oaks, maybe, um, that person who asked that question. Uh, so you, you don't get to talk about it anymore. And so I was really excited to add that item to my library of uh, that kind of activity um, because it's interesting. It's got some lichen growing on it. It's got um, just some really cool different things that you can ask about it. And I just I just find that really cool. And I love nature stuff like that. So it's added to my library. That's awesome. I love that. Uh, Eliana, what's your special spotlight? Well, my special spotlight has just been looking out my back window into my backyard just as dusk is starting. From this conversation, it's probably a surprise to no one that I have I have a full prairie and one swath of my backyard. On the other swath of my backyard, I have a native shade garden. And there are so many, well, what we call them in Southern Illinois is lightning bugs, but I know other folks call them fireflies. It is just filled with fireflies. And just as dusk is happening, as it started, as the sun is really starting to calm down, it is, it's just a little light show back there. And it's just such a delight to take a look at. Magical. I love that. Mm -hmm. All right, Erin, take it away. All right. Um, so... 
Mine um, comes from last week. Um, for those that don't know, the last week in July every year is National Moth Week. Uh, oh, it's very exciting time. We get to focus on um, very cool pollinators that are usually ignored, which are our moths. And we had several different programs that we put on last week. Um, and one that um, I went to was a nighttime moth hike um, that um, Kevin Rowling, one of our colleagues out of Dixon Springs Ag Center, led. Um, and so we were out at nighttime going through the forest to these moth light traps that he had set up. And um, it was just very cool. First of all, how many people came that were interested in going out to hike in the woods um, to potentially get as many chicker bites as I did, which was not the fun part. Uh, but to see really cool moths and just, we didn't see like the big magnificent silk moths, right? They were like tiny little guys, but we saw tons of other beetles and just being out at night and hearing just the sounds of nighttime of the forest and not being scared and just being with a big group of people and right experiencing that and uh, of course seeing moths um, was just really special so I encourage everyone it's a great time to just leave your like light on your back porch um, and sit back there and see what comes and flutters um, by your windows I have had luna moths come up to my house before where you hear a little thump on the window and then you look and it's this big green luna moth so um take some time make some observations and you'll be really surprised what you can see but moths are awesome and we need to appreciate them a little bit more so that's my special spotlight i love that and if you're feeling a little more inspiration as you hear aaron's special spotlight you can go back a few months in the in the archives and listen to amy leffringhouse's nature at night episode um, so some really good stuff. And uh, there's actually up around me, there's a lot of night hikes going on right now because it's so hot during the day. Everyone's like, let's do night hikes. And I think we're seeing some really cool things. So definitely encourage to do it safely. Um, but even just your backyard, seeing some cool things like really awesome. So great. And bug spray. Yeah. And bug spray. Please bug spray. Definitely bug spray. <laughs> is it, is it, do you call them night butterflies? Because that's how I think of mobs is night butterflies. No, but I love that. I want rebranding. Everybody, we're rebranding butterflies now. It's no longer because they're all lepidopteras, like exactly. night butterflies. Taking it. Thank yep. you for that. I love it. All right. Well, this has been another episode on the Spotlight on Natural Resources podcast. Um, check out our podcast next month where we talk with Rachel Curry and Nicole Haverbach, who are our Watershed Outreach Associates, and they're going to be talking all about nutrient loss. So join us then. We'll see you all.